If you have your Bibles, please open them up. We're ready for Matthew chapter 4 today. Last week, we left off with the baptism of Jesus. And so, a um, couple things as we, as we unpack that. In the life of a believer, in your Christian walk, there's a couple things that... Um, We've been encouraging, we've kind of been camping on lately, that we're going to find right here at the end of John chapter 3, the beginning of John chapter 4. And the first one is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see Jesus baptized last week by John the Baptist, and not because John the Baptist was a part of a particular denomination, but because he was the baptizer. And so Jesus comes to him, not because he had sins that needed to be forgiven, but in obedience to God's word, as, as a, he, he's baptized and as he comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes down as a dove out of the sky and alights upon him. And a voice comes from heaven and the father. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So when we say the Holy Spirit, you know, we use that dove at Calvary Chapel. We call it the Calvary dove. It represents the Holy Spirit. And that's where it comes from, Jesus's baptism. And so in, in our lives, that, that's to be Water baptized. So if you've never been water baptized as a Christian, you want to be water baptized in obedience to God's word. And then secondly, the, 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 the purpose is for God to fill us with the Holy Spirit to empower us. In John chapter 20, um, post-resurrection, Peter and the guys, they're a little discouraged and they go back out to the beach to go fishing what they know. And you guys know the story. Jesus is on the beach and he's cooking some fish and he's preparing some food for them. And as the boat gets close, Peter realizes that it's Jesus. And you guys know Peter. He jumps out of the boat and into the water and he, and he swims the last hundred yards to the beach. And Jesus there serves them a meal. What do you think that fish tastes like that Jesus was barbecuing? He, you know, like if, if it needed like 127 grains of salt to be the perfect flavor, you know, Jesus got it right. I'd love to taste some of the fish that Jesus himself cooked up post-resurrection. So he didn't even have that nasty flesh to deal with anymore. It was gone. You know, he's in his resurrected body. And, and, and so right thereafter, Jesus breathes on the disciples and he tells them, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Well, then right after that, Jesus says, go to Jerusalem and tarry ye there. Wait there until I've sent the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? What happened? Did, did, did the John chapter 20 receive the Holy Spirit not work? And Jesus said, well, we tried, but now go to Jerusalem and, and we'll try again there and, and see if you can receive the Holy Spirit there. Is that what happened? Let me tell you something about John chapter 20. If Jesus says to you, receive ye the Holy Spirit, guess what's going to happen? You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. So in John chapter 20, we have the second experience that we see in the Bible with the Holy Spirit. The first one being, the Bible says nobody comes to the Father unless the the Spirit first draws them. It's the work of the Holy Spirit on planet Earth is to convict convict the world of sins. So that, that conscience that you had was the first experience, the para, the Holy Spirit coming alongside you, drawing you and calling you to Jesus. You receive Jesus. You submit your life unto his lordship and you ask Jesus, as we use the phrase, to come into my heart. And I know for some people that concept is kind of crazy. And I get it. You know, I understand. I was there at one point too, where it's just like, what do you mean? Jesus is going to fit in my heart. When, when, when Jesus told that to Nicodemus, that you must be born again, Nicodemus had a similar question. He was being honest. Like he, he was just being honest and his face was probably all twisted. And he was like, well, how can you be born again? Can you crawl back into your mother's womb a second time and be born? Like, what are you talking about? But, but that second experience of Jesus coming into our heart, John chapter 20. Jesus breathes on us and we receive the Holy Spirit. But yet, what was left? Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait there until I send the Holy Spirit. And then in, and then in, in Pentecost, in Acts chapter two, uh, 1, verse 8, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit and it says, you shall receive power, dunamis. No, let's try again. You shall receive power. And I don't do a very good Hulk Hogan, but... But the purpose is that what he said, that's the word. It's dynamite. It's dunamis. It's power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But what's cool is that that power that God talks about to give you, that he wants to give you in that, in that third experience, that baptism of the Holy Spirit is singular so that you can be a witness. The power that you have to share Jesus, the power that you have to um, be Christ-like, it, 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 that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. So in the life of a believer, we, we need that. Now, what's cool is that Jesus needed that before he started his ministry. So at 30 years old, 
prior to that, we don't really see Jesus doing any ministry, any miracles. I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. There was a movie that came out that was trying to portray Jesus as a, as a young child. And it made up all kinds of stuff that wasn't biblical. And these doves die and little baby Jesus is like, and the doves get better. And I don't know. The Bible doesn't record that. We don't see anything. But, but Jesus could not do ministry really as a rabbi, as a Jew until age 30. And then at age 30, the first thing that happens is he's water baptized. He comes out of the water and the Holy Spirit descends upon him. And the father speaks from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased in Matthew's gospel. Luke's gospel tells the end of the rest of what the father said. And the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. And, and then look at chapter four, verse one. It says, and then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So oftentimes in our lives, Christians, that some good stuff happens, some blessing happens, and it's followed by a temptation of the Lord. I think it's Greg Laurie, and maybe it's a little harsh, but he says, if the devil's not tempting you, you ain't worthy to be tempted. That, that you ain't giving, you know, you ain't doing nothing for the gospel so the devil can leave you alone, and that's a problem. It's, it was said of, of Martin Luther, the reformist, the 95 thesis that, that he was so attacked by the devil through his ministry that one night he woke up in his bedroom and the devil himself was sitting in his bedroom. And Martin Luther looked at him and said, oh, it's just you. And went back to sleep. And I don't know if that's a truth, obviously, but, it's, but the devil is, is coming. And so the devil comes to Jesus after a highlight. And, and pay, uh, let me draw your attention to verse number one where it says, led by the spirit. Now, Jesus was led by the Spirit into temptation. Now, first thing you have to know theologically, God cannot tempt anybody. The, the, the Holy Spirit does not tempt you to do sin. That's unscriptural. It's unbiblical. What, is the, what does the prayer say? What was the Lord's prayer? And Jesus said, lead us not into temptation. And, and so, but the word tempt here can be better understood or translated tested or also meaning the same meaning proven. So when, when you want to prove something, every car, you guys, that is made, that is built, they, the, the car makers want to prove that it works, that it'll do what they say that it'll do. So they go out and they road test it and they, they do all these things, not so that it'll fail, not so that it'll, but so that it'll prove that it's, it'll do what it's designed to do. And sometimes in your life and in my life, and not sometimes, oftentimes, hopefully more times, the spirit allows trials and temptations in your life to build character. Now, now that entire car, is it's a little foreign to us. And to be honest, we as Christians here in the, you know, in the West Coast or here Christians in the United States, we have it pretty good, which, which I'm not complaining about and not saying we're less than because we, we have blessings, but we don't face those types of trials. And so, you know, our prayers are like, you know, Lord, I, I, I cut my nail too deep and it hurts. Lord, help, you know, like, uh, and really, when is the last time you as a believer Honest, honestly, earnestly prayed and asked God to bring trials into your life. All right? Like, that's just not a concept. But, but listen, biblically, truthfully, God uses trials to build character in your life. They're necessary. Look at Job. You know, crazy thing about Job's life? First of all, that was the relationship with Satan. Satan shows up. The Bible says, like, Satan's making his rounds, like something he always did. And then it says like he shows up for like a board meeting in heaven and, and he's there and God is there and, and Satan challenges God about Job. And he says, what about your servant Job? That guy doesn't really love you. He just loves you because look what you've given him. He's rich. He's got kids. He's got family. If you take away his stuff, he'll curse you to your face. And then what does God do? God allows Satan to go and test or prove Job. And so Satan comes down and God puts parameters on Job. And then, and then, and then Satan comes down in the first part of the trial, which, which I think is really cool. Job's kids are all together and they're having dinner. They're eating together. Like they like each other. You know, maybe my sons need to read Job more or something. Like, <laughs> look, look at this. They like, they like each other. It's cool. They get along. They're, they want to hang out. And they're, all his kids are in one place and they're, they're eating together and they're hanging out. And, and the house falls and kills 10 of Job's kids. But we, we don't flesh that out, you guys. We just read the story. And, oh, Job, ten, 10 of Job's kids died. And then and pretty soon he's scraping himself with, with broken pot shirts from the boils that are on his skin. But don't raise your hand. I don't want to put him on a spot. But has anybody in here lost a child? 
pain, right? Do you know someone that's lost a child? One of the most difficult things in life to walk through. Ten kids in one night. And then Job's wife shows up, and she's a little burnt. And she says to Job, Job, curse God and die. And we look at her like, well, she's not very Christian. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Ten kids in one night, and she's a little sour. Give her some grace. And, and, and the reality, though, of, of the process of what God's doing in Job's life. And, and everybody in here, listen, Job is an example that we live, that we can learn from, that we can grow through. Now, everybody say, thank you, Job. Come on, because it wasn't you, right? Job got to live that life so you could benefit from it. Job got to live that life so we could learn that, that God can be trusted Let me tell you what the Bible's about in a nutshell. Genesis to Revelation. That God can be trusted. God is faithful. God is is ever present. That God is victorious. And you look at all the lives and all the struggles. You, You know what you don't find anywhere in the Bible? One character in the Bible that's happy, healthy, wealthy. One character in the Bible whose life goes Disneyland. Every one of them is a struggle. Every one of them is a trial, a test, a job, a something that, that shows us that we can absolutely trust God. My favorite quote from the pastor's conference just so resonated with me. It's so stuck with me. God's past faithfulness demands my present trust. God's past faithfulness demands my present trust. And that's the story of of a life for us is that God is so faithful through the scriptures. God is so faithful in so many lives. We can trust him today. We can face trials, but don't don't want to get off. And God's faithfulness is important, but I, I want to focus on the fact that God uses trials in your life. You know, it's such hypocrisy and it's such bad doctrine and it's so hurtful to the body of Christ, these, this, this doctrine, these churches that teach that God's plan for your life is to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. And that God just wants you to, you know, be in Disneyland every day. It's so far from the truth. Listen, God loves you and God cares for you and God's going to sustain you. But as a believer or a non-believer, you're going to face things. You're going to face tough, difficult, real things in your life. And, and I always say, man, I, I know even as a non-believer, I would face these things. I'm so, I'm so, I'd so much rather face these things as a believer in Jesus Christ. I would so much rather face these with the footprints. And, you know, it was then that I carried you, Jesus, that carries me through these trials and walks with them. So um, not to boo-hoo those things. And then, like, you know, challenging us even as a church body. And, and again, be careful with this because I, I want it to be genuine and real. And, and we have to prepare Jesus fasted 40 days. He was baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. But asking God in your life to bring some real trials. Somebody say, this dude's crazy, man. What's he talking about? Somebody say, you crazy. No, but I'm serious. A depth of character. Are you ready? Don't pray it if you're not ready. Don't pray it if it's it's fake because God will allow some things in your life to prove you. But but what's going to happen as a result is you're going to get depth of character and you're going to grow and, and, and you're going to trust God. And, and you get to the point, you know, we went to this concert Friday night. It was an amazing time. A lot of you guys are looking around. We're there and we had a good time. My favorite was Amy Grant and I'm, Natalie Grant. That's what I said. <laughs> I was one of the runners. I volunteered to be a runner. And so they, they, they get this, they have this app on my phone that they use for the, just for the show. And so I get this alert and it says, you have a task. And so I got to go to, to the van and the, the handler's there, and, and I said, okay, where am I going? He's like, he said, well, Natalie Grant and her kids want to go to Target, so so I take, I had a driver to Target, and I went, yeah, I went and got tacos for Matthew West and pizza for Zach Williams, and well, real important, you know, I was, <laughs> I got coffee for the, um, but it was good, it was a fun day, it was a good day, it was a good day, but Natalie Grant, um, you know, she, she's been in Christian music for 20 years. And her, her testimony was just really cool because she said, you know, I've been, I've been encouraging people and trusting God through hard things. And then I don't know how long ago it was, she, but, but recently she went through thyroid cancer. And, and that threatened her very voice box, her very ability to do what she's done for two decades. And she said, now for the first time, I have to believe, I have to walk in what I've been telling people for 20 years to do. And now I'm faced with a, a, a career ending, a, a life ending, a ministry ending debilitation that I have to trust God through. 
And she's on the other side of it now. And she said her voice is stronger than it's ever been. But she got the ability to be proven by God as she walked through that trial. And so we see Jesus here who um, is going to be proven. It said, and when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. Somebody say, duh. <laughs> so a couple of things. We've been camping on this idea of fasting as believers. And that's the other thing I wanted to reintroduce to you guys this morning. We talked about water baptism. We talked about being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then the, the, the next one that where we are in scriptures and where we've been as a church is encouraging you guys to put these things into your Christian walk. And, and the third one being fasting. It's something that we're going to read in a couple of weeks. And when we get to it here very shortly, where Jesus is going to say, when you fast, da, 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 not if you fast, Jesus is fully expected. And what you read through the gospels is that Jesus just kind of, it's just kind of bred in there that Jesus expects as followers of Christ that you'll fast. Not just, it's part of it. Like, you know, we say, pray, read your Bible and pray. And, and that's, that's a concept that we, that we swallow easily as part of our Christian living. But I believe what was missed, and I, and I really believe that maybe a lot of the sickness that we have, maybe a lot, not, not only physically, but spiritually, and a lot of areas that, that, that would be cured by a church that fasted. And so we had here in our church, as you guys know, we, we, we had a, a men's discipleship class that we're coming to the end of. And part of the challenge was for us to take a 21-day fast. And, and the concept maybe for some people to fast for 21 days is like, that's crazy or there's no way. But, but we, we did it practically. And there's practical ways that, that we can fast. And so it wasn't just 21 days water only. It was a mixture of different types of fasts through 21 days. And the whole point is, you know, we don't go to, you know, McDonald's and get two Big Macs and just go for it. Like we stay in the zone. So whether we were eating fruits and vegetables or salad or a small piece of chicken or something and, um, you know, or, or going through and have some water only days mixed in there, but trying to, for 21 days, stay in the zone. And, and you know, just that place where you're not completely satisfied, your, your flesh is not completely, you know, met all the needs where you're just fat and happy, you know, like I've been the last couple of days, you know, but where you're kind of in that place. But Jesus is fast. Now, I've heard, um, you know, pastors say that this was a a water-only fast. And it doesn't really say that. It just says that when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights and afterward he was hungry. But I'm assuming that's probably a good um, assumption, is that it was a water-only fast. Because I think physically, our human body, we we couldn't go 40 days without water, right? Like, how how long could could we physically live without water? So three days? Okay. So obviously he had to drink water. And so we're assuming from that, that he, he had a, a water only 40 day fast. Now, I also believe that it was somewhat supernatural. I believe Jesus had to conquer it in the flesh, but the idea of a 40 day fast was not necessarily a new concept for people that are familiar with the old Testament. Mo- <clears throat> Moses fasted 40 days. You remember the story he went up Exodus chapter 20 he's on Mount Sinai. He's spending 40 days. He comes back down. He has the Ten Commandments. He's been given the law. The children of Israel, they took all their gold jewelry and they threw it into the fire. And Aaron fashioned a golden calf and they're dancing nakedly around it, singing born to be wild. And Moses gets upset and he and he throws the um, tablets down. And they break and he grinds them up and makes them drink them. And he goes back up on the hill to go spend more time with the Lord. 40 more days. I'm not a mathematician, but I think 40 and 40 is 80 and then we see Elijah later, he's fasted and, and, and sustained by the Lord for 40 days. And so now we come to Jesus in a 40-day fast. And, and, and the Bible says, or not the Bible says, but science tells us in a fast, if you, if you did a water-only fast, you go four, five, six days in, and, and, it's, and you're very hungry. And at some point, about day five, day six, your hunger um, subsides and you no longer experience hunger pains. And then you might go to day 40 or you might go somewhere around that point and the hunger pains return. And when the hunger pains return, where Jesus is at this point of the temptation, he's about to die physically. Because what happens is your body, at, when the hunger pains return, that's your mind telling, your body telling your mind that your body is now beginning to feast on your vital organs. And when your body eats your vital organs, you're going to die. So your body has used everything in, in, in that's left, all the fat, anything that it can feast on. And now it's beginning to eat your vital organs. And if you don't get some food, you're going to die. And so this is the place where Jesus was. And in verse three, it says, and now when the tempter, 
Who's the tempter? Don't say my wife. <laughs> Don't say my boss. Not my wife. That was their wife. If it was an angel, then I'll be talking about my wife. But no, they said, so Satan shows up and came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become de- bread. So, hey, turn with me really quickly to Genesis chapter three. And, and I'm going to try to jam you guys because um, I got a lot to cover in the temptation of Jesus. But I, I want you to be familiar with a couple places um, in um, Genesis chapter three, kind of the law of first mention. And sometimes in the Bible, when you see something mentioned or something happened for the first time, it kind of sets a precedence. Now, in first John, I don't know why I didn't mark it. All I wrote down was first John. First um, John chapter, stay in Genesis. I'm just going to read something to you. First John chapter two, um, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, listen, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world or of Satan. And so, um, we have these things, and one of the things we say about, about, about Satan's temptations from First from John is that basically if, if Satan was a football coach, he'd have three plays. Run right, run left, run up the middle. Satan has only three plays, and he's so effective with the three plays, he doesn't need to use other plays. The pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. That's how Satan gets us. You can see that woven into to Genesis chapter 3. You see that same concept that, first, that John, um, old man John tells us about um, in Genesis. You see it in Matthew chapter 4. It is the temptation and the plan of Satan, and he doesn't need 100 plays because you've got to stop the three that he's got first. And so, but one of the things in that, that as he uses this ploy against Eve, one of the first things that Satan does in the temptation to Eve is he says, God is not fair. He says, you can't, God's not fair. You can't trust the word of God, the spoken word of God, the written word of God. And, and, and today, guess two things, two areas that Satan is going to attack in your life. You can't trust God. You can't trust the word of God. You can't trust the written word of God. And God's not fair. God doesn't have your best interest at hand. God's a tyrant. God's not fair. Look what he says to Eve in Genesis chapter 3. And um, beginning in verse number 3, it says, But the fruit of the tree, this is Eve responding, In the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, challenging the word of God. And then for God knows in the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You, God's not fair. God, God's not has your best interest at hand. If, if he knows that if you eat of that fruit, you'll improve. You'll, you'll know the difference between good and evil. You can't trust God. God's not fair. And what does God tell you in your lies, in your circumstances, in your struggles? Not fair, God. Why me? You know, I've been ministering to somebody who's diagnosed with um, cancer. And, um, you know, the, sometimes the question is, why? Why me? I, I had a person ask me, you know, just as an example and just an honest question. Hey, you know, like so and so over here, you know, Johnny, whatever, Tommy Appleseed, Johnny Depp, somebody, you know, example. Um, they, they don't have a wife. They don't have any kids. They don't have any grandkids. Their only living relative was a mother who died five years ago. I have kids. I have grandkids. I have friends. I have sisters. Why do I have cancer and Johnny, Johnny does? Why does God do that? Is God not fair? Like what, what just makes no sense. And I understand. I get the, 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 the real question of why. And it, it takes a little bit of time to unpack that. But I'm going to tell you, first of all, just real simply as we move forward, that's a lie of Satan. God is fair. God is just. God is good. And so he lies there. And then um, so I draw your attention to verse five. It says, for God knows, I'm sorry, verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. And so again, we have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And then the pride of life is next. And the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took of the fruit and she ate. And she also gave it to her husband and he ate. And so um, back to Matthew chapter 4. Another biblical concept, you guys, of Jesus is Jesus is called. And if you ever, when you're reading your Bible and you come across this phrase, you'll, you'll know kind of from here what it means. One of the titles of Jesus is the last Adam. So now we have the first Adam who, um, and the first Adam, as you guys know, he's the best that we have to offer. 
You know, just like I, I talked about, we sometimes want to give Job's wife a hard time. How many of you guys have ever thought of Adam or Eve? You know, how many of you ladies, when you're having a baby, you have, you're thanking Eve for, for labor pains? Because it's, it's Eve is the reason why you give birth in, in pain. Like, oh, stinking Eve. Oh, you know, you guys are out there and you're weeding your yard and you're sweating. And, you know, because by the sweat of your brow was, was part of the curse from, for, for Adam. You're thinking, that's stupid Adam. You know, like, you guys don't know what this is. This is a hula ho. It's what we do in the desert. We don't, we don't have lawnmowers. We go out in the front yard and then we, we do this to the dirt. And then we take a rake and we rake lines in it, spray it down. Good to go. But Adam was the best that the world had to offer. This was pre-fall of Satan. This was pre-sin. I mean, Adam was the greatest intellect because he was pure that God ever created. Better than the apostle Paul. Before the fall, Adam, just for fun, God gave him the assignment to name all the animals. Adam's just kicking it. Tyrannosaurus raptus. <laughs> Giraffe. Elephant. I think he got tired towards the end. He was like, cat. Dog. Fox. But no, but th- that was at the time the best that, that humanity had to offer. And Adam fell. So don't think that, you know, if you, when next time you want to curse Adam or Eve, just curse yourself because you would have done the same thing. You would have been in the same position and, and fell the same way. And um, Adam was the best, and, and he fell in his temptation, his time of temptation. Eve fell in her time of temptation. Actually, Eve fell, uh, and she was deceived, and Adam willingly, Adam willingly chose to follow his wife into sin, is the, way, is the way it unpacks. But the last Adam, Jesus, in his time of temptation, he succeeds. He defeats Satan. My phone is full on ringing. Sorry, but it is on vibrate. It was like in my back pocket going, mm, mm, mm. all right. In verse four, it says, um, but, but he answered and said, Jesus, so I'm sorry, this is verse three. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, you know, when you see that word, if. Um, in the Greek preposition, it can be translated into English, if, meaning there's a possibility that it could or couldn't happen. The other, the other way that word is the same Greek word is translated is since. And it's a different, um, and here, I think what fits better is since you are the word of God. It's basically what Satan is saying. Now, nobody would disagree that Satan understood and knew who Jesus was. Satan had access to heaven. He was there hanging out at the board meeting when he was talking about Job and he saw Jesus there. He was there a couple verses ago when Jesus comes out of the water and the Holy Spirit descends upon him. And and a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Like, this is my son. Satan knows. He's not questioning if you're the son of God. Basically, he's saying, since you're the son of God, you, you have rights. Since you're the son of God, you have, um, you know, abilities. And, and, and God's not fair. You're hungry. Take those rocks and turn them to bread. Now, if, if that's me, right, after 40 days and 40 nights of no food, I'm like, forget the bread. I'll just eat the rocks. Like, I'm that hungry. And, and listen, Jesus, this temptation was real for him. The Bible says that we have a high priest who can sympathize with us because he's been tempted in all points as we've been tempted. That's what one dummy says. He was never tempted to steal a car. No, let's get out of here. <laughs> he was never a, attempted to hack a network. <laughs> all right, okay. So he was tempted in all ways. So this is a real temptation that Jesus is starving to death. He's very capable. And, and Satan says, since you're the son of God, God's not fair. You know, and then Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He quotes out of Deuteronomy chapter eight there in the next two temptations. Interestingly enough, the, the three times that Jesus says here, it is written, it is written, it is written. They're all quotes out of Deuteronomy, one in Deuteronomy eight, one in Deuteronomy six, the third one in Deuteronomy chapter six as well. Maybe Jesus was reading his devotions in Deuteronomy that day. The cool thing about Jesus kind of picking Deuteronomy and using it as the place where he drew his power from was that maybe, how many of you guys have read Deuteronomy recently? You're like, this is like insignificant, maybe you think, or I don't get it. Like, or I mean, it's cool, but that's not exactly the place where you think you'd pull the scripture on the day in history when you're going to be tempted by Satan to fall. And, and, and yet the power of the word of God all the way through it. 
And Jesus knew the word of God. He knew the power of the word of God. And every word in it is important. Every word in it is powerful. And, and Jesus goes right to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and he quotes it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, he's going to quote that. And then he says, Then the second temptation, verse 5, the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. So the pinnacle of the temple is a, it was, a pl- was a spot at the, at the peak of Solomon's temple. And from there, the drop was over 400 feet on top of this, this highest point that was there. The, 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 the temple of Solomon, when it's rebuilt in Israel, where today, um, if you've ever seen a mock-up, the Dome of the Rock sits like this. The Dome of the Rock is a big structure, but the, the temple um, to be built to the same specs that it was in Jesus' day is going to dwarf the Dome of the Rock when they rebuild it. And so Jesus is there. He's brought to the the pinnacle of the temple and and satan said to him again since you are the son of god throw yourself down for it is written now now satan listen satan has a specific temptation designed for every one of you that's so powerful listen it's not like satan just has temptation and and oh they don't work on you no he knows what works on you I got my concealed carry permit since I've been here in in, uh, in Utah. And sometimes I carry my weapon, sometimes I don't. And more for fun. I think it might be kind of fun, right? You ready to go meet Jesus? No, I'm just kidding. I, I don't want to shoot nobody. I didn't, I just, but anyways, I go in the bank and I keep my weapon on me. I have it on, so I have to go do some banking. So I go in with it. I don't see a sign I can't keep it in there. So I go in and I don't flash it or brandish it, but it's it's there. And, you know, but never once has Satan showed up and tempted me to pull it out and rob the bank. Guess what? Because I'm not going to rob a bank. But, but he will show up and tempt me where I'm weak and where I'm going to fall. And I won't tell you where that is. That's none of your business. You, you, got, you got your own places. But Satan has something specific for me that will work. He has something designed that, that's intentional, that's, that's di- diabolic, that's, that's going to work and, and a way to get me. And I got to be on my guard from that. And so here he comes to Jesus and he first tries the bread thing and then he goes to, to plan B. And, and because Jesus quoted the word to, to, um, to, to stop him, he goes to, all right, I want to talk to the word. And then Satan begins to quote the word. And you know what's true? Maybe some of us would feel a little guilty, but Satan... He quotes it verbatim, right down the line. Boom, he leaves a piece out. So he's going to misquote it. But the part that he quotes, like he knows the word of God. He didn't like, Satan didn't reach in his back pocket and pull out his pocket Old Testament. I didn't say pocket New Testament like we got today. We have those. So a pocket Old Testament and look up a verse. Like he knew, when Satan knew the word of God, and then he begins to quote it, but he misquotes it because he leaves out a part that, that, we're, that we're not to use the, that promise to tempt or test God. And, and, and let me tell you again, we've already talked about it, but where does Satan attack your Christian faith? Especially here in Utah. One of the places that we're, our Christian faith is attacked in is you can't trust the Bible. You can't trust the word of God. And, and not only among uh, cults and isms and schisms, but, but even among Christians, even among churches, it's such a problem because you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. And then the fact that people can be deceived, sometimes people just throw the talent and they're like, I just don't know what to believe. Forget it. Like every, every pastor, you know, you crazy pastors, I go across the street. He told me something totally different than what you said. How do I know who to believe? And I get it. It's true. It's, it's a real concern. My, my solution for you, for us, is that each one of us have to be in the word of God for ourselves. You got to read your Bible and pray every day. It's up to you to not be deceived. And, and, it, and find a place that you trust. Find, and I don't have perfect doctrine. And I, I might twist some things here and there. But my, it's not my heart. I'm not intentionally deceiving anybody. But if, if I do get sideways on something, it should bring a red flag. Like you should know because you're in the word. Because you, you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And again, you know, you can go places and people can make the, the word say anything. I remember Creflo Dollar, one of those guys on TV, you know, those TV evangelists. And, and he's preaching a sermon, big, huge crowd. And he's preaching out of um, Corinthians, or, yeah, Corinthians 12, 13. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And th- that's, that's the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then it goes into 13, the love chapter. And, and the greatest of these is faith, hope, and love. 45 minutes he's preaching this sermon and to come to his culmination. So you see, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is faith. And I'm like, 
He just took a quick left. Like what happened to the greatest of these is love. But he spun it and he weaved it and how you have to have faith to love and, and, and just tweaked it. But he did it masterfully. Spent 40 minutes doing it. I, I can give you two scriptures right now. Judas went and hung himself. Another Bible verse. Go and do likewise. I promise you those don't go together. But, but, but it's out there. So Satan misquotes it. You can look it up. Psalm 91. We got to keep rolling. And he leaves a part out and he says, he shall give you, since you're the son of God, the Lord is going to, he shall give his, his angel charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord, your God. And so he's saying, Satan, God is going to protect me. God can be trusted. You're a liar. And that verse does not give us permission to test God and test what God promised. That that's not what it means. And, and it's written that I can trust God. So you might say, you know, you can take this verse to apply to yourself. God's going to protect you. The Bible's full of promises for your life. So someone says, yeah, God's going to protect me. I'm going to go out and lay on the freeway. He's going to protect you, all right. He's going to protect you right into heaven. When a semi runs you over. And go get on the roof. God's going to protect me. I'm going to head dive off the roof. He's going to protect you with a neck halo for the rest of your life because you're going to have a broken neck. That, that, that's not the, what God is saying. We don't test the Lord. We don't tempt the Lord with, with, with those things. And, and Jesus quotes that to him. And then he says, Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him, verse 8, third temptation, to on a high place, exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And Satan said, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall not worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. So the um, couple things here. So first is that the, the devil offered him all the kingdoms of the world. Now, finally, we get to the crux of what Satan really wants. Satan is trying these deceptions. And when it comes down to it, they're not working. They're not working. Finally, Satan, I think, just gets a little like, oh, fine, forget it. Just worship me. Just bow down and worship me. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you everything I have. It's yours. Just worship me. And that is Satan's end game. That's his goal because he wants to be worshipped. The Bible says Satan fell from heaven. And, and, and by the way, just, just maybe there's somebody in here who doesn't have all the furniture. It's totally cool. So we're going to back up and slow down just a little bit. But God created three um, high ranking angels and the angels that God created biblically. What we understand is that the angels have a hierarchy like our military. So we have a general that's in charge of so many, and then we have a corporal or a captain or first sergeant, lieutenant, whatever, and it goes down in rank. And so the angels are organized in rank and what archangel means. It's a title. It's a, it's a military almost title for the, the, the three highest ranking angels that God created. Lucifer, all right, somebody, give me the other two, Michael and Gabriel, three archangels, only archangels we have. So, so Lucifer of the three, he, um, pride filled his heart, the Bible says, because he wanted to be, somebody say worshiped, worshiped as God. That was why Satan fell out of heaven. And when he fell, the third of the angels that were under his command, they decided to go with him. And that's what demons are. So we have angels and demons, but demons are those angels that were under Satan's care that they decided to leave with him in the fall of Satan when he was cast out of heaven. When Jesus said, I saw the angel, I saw the devil like lightning cast out of heaven. And they went with him. Then Michael and Gabriel each control another third. So two thirds angels. So for every demon, there's two angels left in heaven. It, it's not, not fact, I guess you can't really say it's fact, but it's believed. It's a lot of, a lot of theologians believe, um, scripturally that Satan was in charge of worship in heaven. That would explain the worship leaders, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'd be careful. I love those guys. I could, couldn't do what we do without them. We know they're amazing, but you got to give them a hard time. So, um, Satan, Satan is in control of the worship and so he wants to be worshipped. So finally, he, he just is tired of the, 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 the plays. And he finally just says to, to Jesus what the crux of the matter is. Just, just fall down and worship me. And he said, all the kingdoms of the world I'll give you. Now, do you notice that Jesus didn't challenge his offer? 
Like you, you guys understand, you can't give what you don't have. And so Jesus could just say, you can't give me what you don't have. But he didn't say that, right? Satan does have the kingdoms of this world. We already looked at it in Genesis chapter 3. What happened in Genesis chapter 3 is when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, when they sinned, they forfeited the title deed of planet Earth over to Satan. And, and Satan is called, do you guys realize that, that the Bible calls Satan a god? With a little g. So we have God, big G. We have two gods, really. You know, I know, I know pantheism has lots of gods, but the reality is there's two gods. One with the big G, one with the little g. And Satan is also called the prince of, of, of the air. He, he rules the air. He's the god of this world. He rules the kingdoms of this world. And he was going to give them to Jesus because he had them to give. And then, and then the way it plays out, Genesis to Revelation, is in the book of Revelation, we run into this scene. And John the Revelator, old man John, is weeping because he sees in heaven the title deed to planet Earth. It's a scroll and it's sealed. And nobody is worthy to loose it and redeem the, the title deed of Earth back to God. And then John is weeping in heaven because nobody can do it. And then it says somebody shows up. Who shows up? The lamb that was slain who has the power to take away the sins of the world. And Jesus shows up and he is worthy to loose the scroll and redeem it. And at that point, then it is the, the, the world is redeemed back to God. But until then, Satan, the prince of this air, has the ability, the prince of this world, the God of this world, has the ability to give those things. Now, so, and then Jesus, again, he quotes scripture, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord, your God and him only you shall work. And then verse 11, the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So again, Matthew doesn't add this detail. Luke adds the detail that the, that the, that Satan left him for what? A more opportune time. So, and then he's going to come back like he does in your life and my life. James tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Don't think that if, if you resist the devil and he flees from you, you're good. Because guess what? He's coming back and he's coming back with a new plan. He's coming back with a different angle to catch you. He's, he's, he's working on something that's specific for you. And, and so he's leaving with a different angle. Now, really quickly, as, as we wrap up, I think I'm going to cover two more things if I can. Um, Jesus quotes the word of God, you know, and and Psalm 119. So for your homework, let me give you a little homework. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. Every verse of Psalm 119 has to do with the word of God, except for two. So your homework is to find the two that are not in Psalm 119. 174 deal with the word of God, two don't. Um, But anyways, in Psalm 119, how may a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. And the word of God, the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. But listen, let me tell you the way it doesn't work. You, You know, you don't just memorize a bunch of scripture and then live like the devil and you're good, right? Like Jesus didn't just like take the, these words and, and cotton candy and just arbitrarily just throw them at the situation. What Jesus was really saying is, you know, it is written. You can add a little because for understanding. He's saying because it is written that, that you shall not tempt the Lord your God and you're a liar. Jesus tells us in John chapter 10 that, that, that Satan is a liar and a thief and he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so what Jesus is inferring in all of that is the word of God can be trusted. And the word of God says that you shall not live by bread alone. And you're a liar and you're a deceiver. And I'm going to stand on the truth of the word of God. So it's not just knowing and just being able to, to recite scripture that's going to keep Satan from you. It's living it. It's walking in it. James tells us, James is the punch you in the mouth apostle, by the way. You know, John would never dare, right? John's like, just love one another. And James is like, punch you in the mouth. And, you know, hey, get up, walk. Don't be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. Resist the devil. Like James gives you the, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Those are all James's quotes, right? You sucker, you're dying. Ten of your kids died. Count it all joy. You know, that's. That's James, like he doesn't mess around, you know, but he, he tells you, you can't just, 
you, you can't just hear the word of God. You're a hypocrite. You're a fool if you just hear the word of God and you don't do it. And again, this is not just arbitrarily taking the word and flippantly just, he's, he's applying it. He's standing on it. He's living it. He's, he's saying, I can trust it. I, and you got to know what it says to trust it. You got to know what it says to live it and believe in it. And so he's like, no, the word of God says that I can trust my God. That I don't need to turn those rocks, those, those rocks to bread. That I can trust God to provide for me. Could Jesus trust the Father to provide? Did Jesus make a good decision? What does verse 11 say? What did God do? What did God do? Come on, somebody. What did God do? He sent angels, amen, right? He sent angels. Like, like he said, that's my son. He's hungry. Go hurry. Go to in and out and get there quick. Go get some sushi and hurry up. Like he, he sent the angels to bring the food and minister. You know, one other time, an amazing time, right? Um, where, the, where God is in this kind of dilemma where Jesus is really at the, at, in his flesh. Because Jesus is fully God, fully man. And Jesus is at the edge of, of, of his humanity, really. And God stretches Jesus in his flesh as far as you can be stretched to, to show us. And the Bible says that we have a high priest. Listen, praise God. We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us because he's been tested in all ways possible and he had victory over sin and death. And he loves you and he cares for you. And you've, when you're tempted, he's, he's compassionate because God took him and here and in other places and he stretched him as far as you can possibly stretch to the point twice where Jesus was ready to break for you and I. And God in heaven says, that's my son. Hurry, minister to him. Get there, angels, get there. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was so distressed, the Bible says, he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. And God sends the angel, right? God sends the angels at that point. So that's the two that I know of. Maybe there's another one that's recorded. I don't know of it. Two times where God sends his angels to minister to Jesus. So let's stand. I was going to rant on Hotel California being a song of Satan. You just have to trust me on that one. Good song, right? You know, they say it's a four, number 49 on all-time songs. Over 16 million copies sold. Number one for, for 19 weeks in 1978. Um, but, but just a little illustration I was going to give to show that, you know, Satan still is up to the same tactics today. We know, I'll share this. We know from Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and a host of wickedness in, in dark places and in high places. And so the, the, the concept of, of Satan wanting Eve and Adam to, to worship him and listen to him in Genesis 3. The same reason why Satan fell like lightning out of heaven. The same thing that, that Satan told Je- Jesus around the year 30 when or so when this happened. You know, just worship me. The same persists today that Satan is desiring that the world would um, worship him. And unfortunately, so many do. And, and, and the difference is when you worship Satan, he gives you an invoice and he can give you blessings. I don't know if that's the right word, blessings, but he can give you things that you desire. There's a passing pleasure in sin or we wouldn't do it. But everything that, that, that you receive that's ungodly, that's ill-gotten gain, that's, that comes not from God's blessing, but from the hand of Satan, as, as so much of our music does, whether advertently or inadvertently, that there's an invoice that comes with it. You know, God, God doesn't give you an invoice. God, God gives you a, 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 his love and his compassion. Everything he gives you is a gift. But Satan is still up to it. And so we want to give everybody an opportunity here today, again, as we do each week, to make sure that you do not leave here if you're not sure that you're sure that you're sure that you're born again, that you're saved. That and we want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus in your heart. And I'm, I'm trying to turn over a little new leaf. So I also want to say, maybe you're in here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. And we want to tell you that, that, that if today's not the day for you, then um, you come back next week. And, and allow God to work. And you're welcome and we love you. And there, there'll come a day when God's pouring his spirit out upon you. And I would encourage you, if, if that day is today and you, and you felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to you, don't, don't leave it for another day. Because there's one thing God doesn't promise and that's tomorrow. 
And, and, and so if you're not sure if you're a Christian or you just want to be sure, it's as simple as just saying yes to Jesus in your life. And again, I look around, I see a lot of believers, but I'm never going to assume that there's somebody in here who, who, who doesn't know Jesus or needs to ask Jesus in their heart to be their Lord and Savior. So if that's you today, as I pray, I'm not going to call anybody out, embarrass anybody. I'm just going to pray. You just say yes to Jesus. There's no magic in the words. There's nothing like if I say the right or wrong words, you don't have to worry about any of that. If your heart wants to receive Jesus and say yes to Jesus, you just say yes, Jesus. As I walk you through a prayer, sometimes I ask us to pray out loud. We won't do that today. We'll just have you say it in your heart. And then what I'm going to ask is, if you did do that, um, Shane and Abby are going to be up front. I think Ben's going to be up front to pray with folks. If God did speak to you today and you prayed that prayer, would you come up and, and pray with these guys and just let them know that that was you? And, and so we can be praying for you as well and encouraging you. Make sure you have a Bible, everything you need in that, in that way. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you, and Lord, we, we thank you, God, so much for Jesus. And Lord, we pray if there's anybody today that wants to respond to the gospel, wants to respond to Jesus and say yes to Jesus, that right now, Lord, um, that they would say in their heart yes to Jesus. They would be saying, yes, I, I realize that I, I'm not a good person. I'm not a bad person. I'm just I'm not a perfect person, and, and I need a Savior. And, and Jesus is offers forgiveness of sins. And so I receive, I ask for the forgiveness of my sins. I receive Jesus into my life. Just say yes to Jesus as I pray. I believe that Jesus lived and he died and he rose again the third day. And I, and I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus. And Lord, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins and wash me clean and that I would become a believer and know that I know that I know that I'm saved and that I would walk through the trials and the troubles of this life with, with Jesus carrying me and with the power and the love of Jesus. And Father, I pray for us as a church, God, that we, we could reach out, Lord, beyond ourselves and we could love folks and that you'd help us in areas of weakness and that you'd stretch us as Jesus was stretched. And none of us will, will, will ever be stretched that far, but Lord, stretch us as we can handle it. And the Bible says that no one's been given a temptation, that there's not a way of escape. And so God, as, as you've given us and you, you're allowing certain things to be, happen in our lives for a reason, there's also always a way of escape. There's also always a way of victory in Jesus. And so God, help us to walk in that. God, forgive us as a people. Lord, forgive us individually for the areas of sin. And Lord, help us to, to repent and turn from those things, God, and return to you. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you. Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.